0: Some of the free shows this season include Is Kali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. In the wake of the Club Q shooting, a lot of people are asking, What happened? The shooter had guns and bomb-making materials taken from him during a previous arrest. His record also included threatening loved ones and texting about being, quote, the next mass killer. Wouldn't this be the perfect situation for Colorado's red flag law to be used? Turns out it's not that simple. Jesse Paul from the Colorado Sun joins me to explain the complexities behind Colorado's ongoing efforts to prevent gun violence. Today is Monday, December 12th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies and this is Citycast Denver. Jesse Paul, welcome back to Citycast
1: Denver. Thanks for having me.
0: So Jesse, after the Club Q shooting, I know a lot of folks were asking why wasn't the red flag law Like, why weren't red flag laws used? Can you tell me what happened there?
1: Yeah, it's kind of complicated and and there's a lot of history and and we just got more details on this, uh, you know, in the last 24 hours uh, before our conversation here. So what we know is that, you know, this person was arrested in 2021 in this case, threatened to become a mass killer during that case and went through an entire court proceeding. Charges were eventually dismissed by a judge but nowhere along that time did local law enforcement or the suspects family members petition judge to to have a red flag seizure
0: okay let's back up for just a minute can you explain what a red flag law is and how it works
1: you know colorado has one it was passed by the legislature in 2019 signed into law by the governor in 2020 and what it allows uh, to happen is for family members or law enforcement to petition a judge to temporarily order the seizure of someone's firearms and to block them from purchasing more weapons. And so these seizure orders last 364 days at a maximum. There's some important details in there. There's like a preliminary order that lasts 14 days, and then the longer one lasts 364. But essentially, you know, the judge has to decide whether or not a person is a significant risk to themselves or others, in deciding whether whether to order that seizure.
0: In explaining that, it sounds like this would be the perfect case for it. But this is up to, is this up to law enforcement's discretion?
1: So it's up to law enforcement or someone's family members. I think roommates are okay. also kind of allowed to, to file these uh, red flag seizure petitions. But, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's always meant to be a tool. There's a misconception about the red flag law that it's, you know, it's the same thing as convicting a murder or Pursuing an assault charge against someone. This is actually in the civil court system. And when the bill was being debated in the legislature, the proponents of it always talked about it as a tool in the toolbox for law enforcement for family members. It wasn't something that they had to use, but it was something that they could use. And there was a lot of law enforcement, conservative, you know, Republican sheriffs across the state who didn't like the law and said, we'll never use this, including, uh, you know, El Paso County Sheriff Bill Elder, whose office handled the 2021 case against. Um, the suspected Club Q shooter. So, you know, there's a limit to this law. It's only as good as when it's used by family members or law enforcement. Again, they have no obligation to ever use it, though.
0: So I'm also thinking about the case, unfortunately, from last December with the shooter in Lakewood and on South Broadway. And he had, like, written fictional work about murdering people. And some of the people he killed were mentioned by name in those stories. I'm having a hard time understanding how these red flag laws should work. Like, why aren't they used all the time or at least in cases like this? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: And again, I think that goes back to a lot of different things. I mean, first of all, when you look at gun laws in Colorado, you've got to think about the broader political context here. When Democrats tried to pass new gun control measures in 2013 after the Aurora Theater shooting and Sandy Hook. There was an extreme amount of pushback from Colorado voters, from Republicans. Three state senators lost their jobs. One of them actually resigned, but two of them were recalled. And there's been a lot of fear among Democrats in the Capitol to pursue gun control legislation because they've got this, you know, kind of top of mind. And when the red flag law was introduced in the legislature, it was the first time since that 2013 slate of legislation, those recalls, that Democrats really pursued gun control legislation in Colorado again. They had just won back their majority in the legislature, and it was controversial. Um, You know, they tried to do it in 2018 when the legislature was split between Republicans in the Senate, Democrats in the House. It wasn't successful. And again, they kind of tiptoed around this legislation by saying, look, this isn't something sheriffs have to use. This isn't something that family members have to use. It's a tool in the toolbox. We just want to give people this opportunity and and this is how it's used in other states. You know, there there's no uh, mandate that people have to use these laws in other places. And and again, again I think this is a big misconception about this. It, it, it was always drafted as a as an optional thing. You know, whether or not that's a good thing or not, you know, I think that's up for the public to decide. But but it, there was no mandate that that it be enforced.
0: Okay, and that's like a point of contention with the alleged club Q shooter that there was this previous incident with him being arrested for making a bomb threat but there was no use of the red flag law.
1: Ultimately, the only person who would have ever decided whether or not a red flag gun seizure would have been appropriate here would have been a judge. And we know from this case a few things that are important. One, the family members didn't cooperate with law enforcement when the gunman or the shooter was arrested in June 2021. Prosecutors couldn't bring a case because they couldn't get cooperation from the suspect's parents. And again, that means that those people probably weren't going to initiate a red flag gun seizure. We also know that the case was sealed after, you know, the the charges were dropped. And the sheriff's office says, look, even if we had tried to pursue a red flag seizure after the case was dismissed, we had access to no criminal records anymore. We couldn't, you know, use the arrest affidavit or the testimony or anything that we had from that arrest to try and petition a court to do that. And I think that there are, are, interesting questions around how can the lobby change potentially to make it easier for other people to initiate these things. And certainly those conversations are already happening at the legislature.
0: It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, house plants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on-site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water-smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to BotanicGardens.org. That's BotanicGardens.org. Jesse, it feels like there's this huge disconnect between laws that are made and then actually understanding those laws, but also implementing them. Like, I'm thinking about how it's it's one thing to create a law, and it's another thing to make sure people know about it and understand how
1: it's supposed to work. And I think you have to remember, too, that the average person on the street probably doesn't know that Colorado has a red flag law. And there's been a lot of talk about making, you know, information about red flag laws or the red flag petition process more available to Coloradans. You know, so who knows if the family even knew this was an option that they could pursue. It's a relatively new thing. And there's also issues with the law that that it's it's not perfect. Uh, you know, it's it's always been something that that has needed tweaks. And I think the legislature always knew that. And, and I think they're going to look a lot harder now at maybe what some of the things they could do to prevent this case or future mass shootings or other you know situations that have arisen in the past two years since this has been in effect.
0: So in the end, is there any accountability for law enforcement in situations like this? Like, is there something they could have done?
1: I think that's a question for voters to decide. I mean, sheriffs are elected, so are district attorneys and, and folks in El Paso County will have a choice in the next couple of years about whether or not they want to reelect the people who are in those positions. Sheriff Elder is actually leaving office in January. He's, he's already got a replacement coming, but, but District Attorney Michael Allen will be up in two years. But certainly, you know, these folks have, ha- have faced a ton of questions about this case. And I think appropriately so. And when you talk to policymakers, they'll often tell you too, I mean, on both sides of the aisle, there's no panacea. There's no perfect solution that can stop every single case. And and I think that's important to remember. It's it's hard to tailor policies that can, you know, think about every single situation that's going to unfold. And you see the legislature respond when something like this happens to try and prevent it from ever happening again or a certain set of circumstances. But something always changes. You know, there, each one of these cases, I've covered so many mass shootings now, are, are, are different in significant ways.
0: So... Lawmakers returned to the Capitol in January. What is next? What are uh, lawmakers talking about when we are faced with yet another mass shooting?
1: So there's a lot of talk about expanding who can file the red flag gun seizure orders. And to expand that to district attorneys, again, probably wouldn't have helped in this case because the DA down there is opposed to this anyways. Expanding it maybe to teachers or mental health professionals who, you know, deal with people on a daily basis who know the intricate, you know, thoughts of of students or young people who are dealing with mental health issues or any person who's dealing with a mental health issue. There's also more talk of of more specific gun control measures, such as raising the minimum age for which someone can buy a gun. Right now, you can buy a shotgun or a rifle in Colorado at 18, so it would raise it to 21 to match what the handgun policy is. And then one of the ones that's been kind of swirling around for a long time that'll be interesting to see if it gains any progress is a waiting period. And that would be a law that would require a certain set amount of time, whether it's two days or 10 days, between when someone purchases a firearm and when they can have access to it. And then the kind of big kahuna that that seems extremely unlikely, but but that lawmakers are debating is an assault weapons ban. And the reason why it seems unlikely is kind of multifold. I mean, first of all, there's political reasons why it seems unlikely. The governor isn't super on board with this and, and obviously has a... A veto pen that he can use for for such legislation. But then secondarily, it's really difficult to define what an assault weapon is. And, you know, even Tom Sullivan, who's a state senator, going to be a state senator, whose son was killed in the Aurora, Aurora theater shooting, thinks that that's maybe not the best thing to pursue on the state level. He thinks that should be more of a federal policy to be pursued.
0: Do you think with Dems having an expanded majority in the legislature in the coming year, that will make any difference?
1: I do. I think that that is a significant change. Um, and again, 2013, the the recalls are a long way off. They're kind of a distant memory. I remember I first started covering the legislature in 2018, 2017, 2018, and it was top of mind for people. I mean, they were still talking about it and thinking about it uh, because you know they were afraid. They didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't they didn't want to you know go against their constituents. And what I think is is maybe the biggest change with the Democratic majorities expanded is that they may feel more emboldened to send legislation to the governor and force him to make a decision about whether or not to veto it. Because in the past, the governor has basically told lawmakers, don't even introduce this bill. If You send it to me, it's going to get vetoed. But with greater numbers, that could, I think, change.
0: Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about the potential merger of Kroger and Albertsons. Last week, Attorney General Phil Weiser announced that his office will be leading a multi-state investigation also involving the Federal Trade Commission into the potential deal between the two grocery giants that own King Supers and Safeway stores in the metro area. CPR reports that Weiser will be investigating potential consumer impacts from the merger, like food price increases and store closures, as well as worries of lower wages and job loss from the employee perspective. And finally, Airbnb says no to people who want to party on New Year's Eve. Denverite reports that the company is cracking down on one-night rentals over the holiday, particularly if you're a guest with no history on the app. The move is part of a larger change Airbnb has made to cut down on complaints from neighbors about New Year's Eve parties, which have dropped by over 50% since the company became official party poopers in 2021. Womp womp. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the Beastie Boys about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, Bri, I th- you're you're kind of a nerd, right? I feel like I, I want to show you this cool thing I've got.
0: <gasps> Whoa, it's a Mrs. Pac-Man?
1: Yeah, from the 80s.
0: Oh my God. I want to hear the sounds. I mean, those things make like, that's the nostalgia do you for want me to turn the it sounds.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I can do it. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, hold on. You
0: don't wow. No, No, I bet it just, like, plays. Yeah. Oh, my God.